It's a Friday on the Ref Sports Radio Network. It is Steelman and Thune at noon. No Steely, he's been out all week. He'll be back on Monday. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson here with you from the Buffalo Wild Wings studios. Travis, of course, joining us from T-Town. Grill Boy, what's the vibe up in the up in the 918 on this Friday? Well, you know, uh, when I was looking at the forecast yesterday, it was supposed to be rainy all morning and windy and all this stuff. I just walked to the gym this morning, not a, not a drop. So I'm I'm channeling that into this big recruiting weekend we have where, you know, we got another offer go out at quarterback. Michael Hawkins is at TCU, this, that, and the other. Marvin Mims saying some crazy things about his route trees. But while it seems rainy, I feel like the sun's going to shine through. That was Travis's way of letting you all know that he works out. Subtly going to slide that in there right off the bat. Hey, I paid you all the twenty-three-year-old uh, former athlete compliments I could yesterday, man. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, <laughs> get back in the game. <laughs> all right. Well, we're excited to bring you two straight hours of nothing but OU sports talk here on the Ref Sports Radio Network because we are the home of Sooner fans. First hour of the program brought to you by Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Whether you're looking to repair, replace, or maintain. Your air conditioning system, call Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Family-owned and operated, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. 405-579-3113 for all your heating and air needs. You want to hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line. 405-651-3439 is how you can chime in all throughout the show. And I guess the natural place to start on this Friday, Travis, is those comments from Marvin Mims that you mentioned. And for those of you... They missed it this morning. Marvin Mims was meeting with media at the NFL Combine. Of course, Jalen Redmond is the only Sooner to this point that has gone through testing, but Marvin Mims is on tap, as are six of his fellow former Sooners. And the quote that blew up on social media, and some interpreted it as a critique of Lincoln Riley, some interpreted it as a critique of Jeff Lebby. One way or another, it got a whole lot of folks up in arms. Marvin Mims said the following about his route tree, and I quote, Oklahoma didn't ask me to run a technical route tree, but I have a trainer and run more routes. I just wasn't asked to do it for Oklahoma. Travis, what's what's your impression of those comments? Is, is there any shade, or is Mims just being matter-of-fact with that type of statement? Um... I think he's projecting a little bit, Parker, to be honest. Uh, what did what did Mims become almost synonymous with during this final season in his Oklahoma career? Drops. That's all we heard about, right? Drops. He was open so many times. Drops. Sure. I mean, if you want to criticize Levy for putting our fastest receiver in winning situations downfield and throwing to that said wide-open receiver downfield – I'm not sure you can fault that much. Now, I totally get that I would like to see more intermediate routes, things like that. Like, that's something I would like to see personally. But if you look at Mims, he spent most of his career under Lincoln Riley. He had 30s catches his first two years under Lincoln Riley. Well, his catch numbers went up by like 60% under Levy. His yardage went up like 40% under Levy. If he would have turned in... The year that he turned in, his last year in Riley's system, if he would have turned that year in, his final year in Norman, A, he probably would have come back. Or B, they probably wouldn't have been talking to him at the Combine. 
Now, I think one thing is undeniably true. It's that when you look at Mims usage in 2022, there wasn't a ton of diversity as far as the routes that he was running. He was running a ton of downfield routes. He was stretching the field because that's what he's good at. And as you saw time and again, Dylan Gabriel was able to hit him down the field for big gains and long touchdowns, especially uh, throughout the first half of the season. You think about that finale against Texas Tech in the regular season where Mims went off. When he was able to get behind a defense, that's where he could do the most damage. And so Levy schemed ways to get Mims downfield. He was not he was not used in the same way that, say, CeeDee Lamb was used in 2019, where they were just getting the ball in his hands at every opportunity, at every level, short, intermediate, deep. No, Marvin Mims was used primarily as a deep threat in 2022. So I understand what he's saying. However, <laughs> I think understandably that comment raised a few antenna because even if you don't intend it as shade – especially at a setting like the NFL Combine, it can all too easily be interpreted as shade, Travis. Yeah, and it's – here's the thing. CeeDee Lamb is 6'2", 200-something pounds. You know, Marvin Mims is 5'11", 180. I mean, there are certain things that, you know – and, again, it's it's tough to be like, oh, well, he should have been, you know, used like this first-round pick was that's, you know, bigger and stronger than him. Like, he was playing to his strengths. Like, he was playing to his strengths. Marvin Mims is really fast. I got a text yesterday from one of his former coaches saying, watch for Mims to run a 4-4-6 four, four, or better. That's the That would be the fastest on the team, wide receivers last year, at least the ones that were, were, were playing regularly. So you take that speed to take the top off of the defense. So I don't know. It's We've got a text here from Cody saying he dropped a few balls. Now I've got there, – there's a, a bunch of data to back up that Mims had a significant number of drops. It's, I, I don't feel like – I don't feel like I'm, you know, coming at him sideways by any means saying that he had he had a significant number of drops. But part of that comes with difficult catches, right? I mean, he had a lot of go balls. He had a lot of routes that he was going to have to catch it running full speed down the sideline or with a defender around him. I, I get it. Those are tough catches. He's not dropping, you know, bubble screens or anything like that. But, you know, you can you can say, well, CeeDee Lane was used this way. Marvin Mims isn't CeeDee Lamb, and I just I think it's I think it's wild to look at the just production jumps you saw in Marvin Mims, and then he comes and says, "Yeah, I wasn't really used correctly." I mean, what, hey, let me ask you this, Travis: Do you think Oklahoma could have used Mims better than they did? Possibly, I. But I, yeah, I, so I think. I think that it is a good idea, just speaking in a, in a macro level, Parker. Sure. I, I think it is a good idea if you have a mismatch to exploit that mismatch. That's what all sports are, right? That's what life is, right? Like, you, you exploit the mismatches. So, I think having your fastest receiver that can catch balls downhill or uh, downfield very well, putting him in those one-on-one situations to go win those is – is is really a good idea. Now, do I think they could have used that to mix some things up? Maybe, you know, have him, you know, pull some double moves or 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 even just some stop routes or anything going across the middle like putting the pl- the foot in the ground and and making a hard cut because everybody thinks you're going deep? Absolutely. Absolutely, but I think we would 
I, I don't think we have enough time on the radio from now until the season starts to go position by position and say, hey, do you think this this position was used to its absolute best? Because I don't think any football team uses any position to its absolute best. And I think the difference between CD in 2019 and Marvin Mims in 2022 and kind of the reason that I don't think Marvin Mims was terribly misused at Oklahoma. He was in 2021. Let me just preface it by saying that. That was a consensus. Everybody kind of understood that. Marvin Mims was criminally underutilized by Lincoln Riley when he was a sophomore, and it almost drove him to the transfer portal. But in 2022, the reason it made sense for Marvin Mims to be running so many downfield routes and not taking on a more variegated role in terms of the route tree was because he was the only guy in that receiver room, Travis, that legitimately had the capacity to be a downfield burner for Dylan Gabriel. He was the one deep threat on the whole roster. And so if you're not letting him do what he does best, which is challenge in the vertical game and make a defense account for the one guy that can get behind you at any time and burn you for a 70-yard touchdown, if you're having that guy run five-yard curls and slants, well, guess what? The defense isn't going to take the threat of the deep ball seriously with any other receiver on the field. Marvin Mims is the one guy that they had to account for and did, and in some cases it still wasn't enough because he's that good and he's that fast. But if you take away, if you take your one deep threat on the entire roster at Oklahoma and you have him running a bunch of short and intermediate stuff, well, <laughs> that almost eliminates the deep ball from the offense. And as we know, Jeff Lebby likes to take shots. Dylan Gabriel likes to take shots. You can't take nearly as many shots down the field if you don't have Marvin Mims being that vertical threat in the field stretcher. Um, Sooner Soldier on the text line says, yeah, Mims wasn't used correctly. They should have been throwing it to receivers that can make the clutch catch. Mims was only catching it if he was wide open. Now, (laughs) I tell you what. Another listener in the 405 also mentioned Mims caught some balls that made you go, oh, dang, and hit rewind. And so I, it feels yeah. like there are two schools of thought with regard to Mims, and it feels like the drops stick out in some folks' memory more so than others. But that catch he made at Texas Tech, Travis, one-handed. Yeah, one of the best catches Behind a defender's back. Like that's, that's an elite catch. That's and an that's elite catch made by an elite him down, That's why you throw to him downfield, though. Like, that's that's what's crazy. Is like That's why you throw to him downfield, because he's a guy that can go up and do that, you know, at, at a higher rate maybe than other. Is he going to do it every time? Absolutely not. No wide receiver will, outside of maybe my boy J.J. But it's like, I mean, he, he, he dropped big third downs, big touchdowns, everything like that. But the, it was a myriad of issues the entire team had, you know, Linebacker's taking the wrong bat. Marvin Mims dropping it. Dylan Gabriel overthrowing. Like, there was there was a little bit wrong with everything on the team last year, and that was the problem. It was the lack of consistency, the lack of complimentary football, um, and I think maybe the drops maybe aren't as glaring if their drops in in two touchdown wins. And I, and I think that's why maybe I'm remembering them a bit more. Uh, a text from the 580 brings up a good point. The Mims quotes are coming from his receiver trainer, Hooks. He was very vocal about how, he, how OU used Mims throughout his career. That's very true. This, uh, you know, Mims, even before he was going to come back, 
you know, Hooks was tweeting about how you used him, and a lot of people, because of his trainer's tweets, thought Marvin was was portal bound. So that he has been um, he has been vocal throughout his career. Maybe this is just an advertisement for his trainer, him saying, "Hey guys, you can go wherever you want, but go to my trainer. He'll make you run all the routes." Frisco Sooner on the text line says, you guys bring up a great point where Marvin Mims was great on go or deep routes. He wasn't in the same stratosphere as Lamb with the ball in his hands, hence the reason why OU didn't get the ball in his hands on short routes. And I, I don't know whether we will ever see another receiver at the University of Oklahoma that was in the same stratosphere with the ball in his hands as C.D. Lamb. That dude's 2019 season was the stuff of legend. And the play that always sticks out to me in my memory, Travis, is the bubble screen that he turned into a 70-something-yard touchdown against Kansas State early in the – or maybe it was late in the third quarter of that game up in Manhattan that Oklahoma ultimately lost 48-41. to Slips like eight tackles, turns nothing, and I mean nothing, into a touchdown that substantially shifted the momentum of that football game. And so Marvin Mims is not C.D. Lamb. There's, there's only one C.D. Lamb, and there's a reason that guy is currently probably one of the top ten wide receivers in the entire NFL and getting better every single year. But Marvin Mims definitely does not have that same ceiling. Somebody in the 918 says Marvin is good, not elite. What Marvin is, man, he is a dangerous vertical threat who plays bigger than his frame and has quite a future for himself in the NFL because of those two traits. Now, I'll be interested to see where he lands in the draft this April, and I think a lot of it probably depends on how he tests later today at the NFL Combine. We're just getting things rolling here on a Friday on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson with you on Steel Man and Thune at Noon. Coming up later in the show, Brandon Drum is out on the recruiting trail. He's not going to be able to join us at his regular 135 slot, so we're going to have him on the program at 1235. When we come back, though, Several guys making waves at the NFL Combine on day one. One of them was Jalen Redmond. One of them, though not a Sooner, does happen to have a name that should be all too familiar to Oklahoma fans. We'll talk that and more coming up next on the other side of the break. This is the ref of the Oklahoma Sooner fans. It is Grill Boy and Thune at noon. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson. If you're tuning in for Steely, my apologies. He's on vacation this entire week. He'll be back on Monday. But we've managed to keep the show afloat without him up until Friday. Now let's see if we can get through Friday. The Air Comfort Solutions text line is always available to you, 405-651-3439, if you'd like to chime in. Travis, we led the show talking about the NFL Combine and obviously Marvin Mims' comments that blew up on social media earlier this morning. There's been one sooner that already tested at the Combine, and that, of course, would be Midwest City's own Jalen Redmond. Turned in a pretty impressive 4.85 in the 40-yard dash, and for a guy that was considered a fringe draft pick heading into this week, I think that only has to help Jalen Redmond's stock as we look towards April. Well, of course, because, uh, you know, NFL scouts, and NFL GMs, everybody like that, they think they can always get the best out of you right so they're like all right what what are you at your top end if i can get the physical tools if i get the speed the strength the raw athleticism coming from a p5 school when he was healthy jalen redmond was one of the most disruptive defensive linemen in the country or defensive line yeah and i mean especially 
like right out of the gate. And then obviously he did with the blood clots and then his COVID year, he was really making sure he did the right things to keep himself healthy um, and really being cautious. And, you know, it, it was kind of a, you know, a bumpy career at OU, just, you know, with a bunch of factors you can't really control. Um, but the dude's, it's never been a question whether the dude was an animal. Dude's always been an animal. Uh, Jeff in DFW asks, why is Travis grill boy and not grill man? Well, Jeff, it's because grill boy <laughs> was a nickname that was, how do I phrase this? The nickname was intended to be disparaging and was labeled upon Travis by one particularly vitriolic OU message board. But that nickname has since been reclaimed and spun to the point where Travis wears it like a badge of honor, as do all of us here at the Ref Sports Radio Network who have embraced Grill Boy as one of our own. Exactly. Grill Boy, Hayes Fawcett is Edit Boy. Um, specifically, these specific group of people don't have a very imaginative um, you know they don't they, they they don't have the you know vernacular uh, of one Parker Thune. What am uh, I over so. there? Do we know? Do we know what boy I am? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's definitely boy. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that's that's why I am Grill Boy and not Grill Man. Has nothing to do with uh, stature in the grill community. I promise you. Five eighty eight on the text line says there are grumblings out there that the ref hasn't used Mike Steely correctly and that he is holding out. Well. To quote Mike Gundy, that ain't true. <laughs> At least not to my knowledge. Maybe Steely's holding out. Maybe the whole vacation week is just a front for behind-the-scenes contract negotiations. Maybe maybe Steely is taking not just a personal day, but a personal week to Ooh. go fly and meet with potential other employers. Uh, maybe out Who's west, you know. Maybe out west. Maybe he's uh, missing covering old Mutual. We know how much he loves him. I bet Steely would have some popularity in the UCLA market. No question about it. Oh, man, could you imagine? <laughs> I, bet, I bet Utah would have a lot of fun with him. Oh, man. Uh, elsewhere on the text line, and this is what else I wanted to get to, uh, there's a defensive lineman from the University of Northwestern, Travis, named Adetamiwa Adabare, who just ran an official 4.49 yesterday at the NFL Combine at six foot two, 282 pounds. That's right, 4.49. Just to put that into context for you, C.D. Lamb ran a 4.48. Adetamiwa Adabare, better known as Tommy, ran a 4.49. Why do I bring this up, Travis? It's because he's not even the freakiest athlete in his own family. The freakiest Ooh. athlete in his own family happens to be the five-star edge rusher that Oklahoma just signed in the class of 2023, one P.J. Atabare. Yeah, I mean, it's simply insane. And honestly, we can talk about the you know, genetics, which are obviously freaky. Um, they've even got a younger brother who's equally as freaky. I think we need to get that offer out right away. Um, but the key is... It takes work, man, that work ethic to continue to take advantage of the physical tools that you've been given. A lot of a lot of athletes that have the physical tools, have, have just the natural ability to do things, you know, sometimes end up relying on that, right, relying on their God-given ability. 
it doesn't seem that Atabares have that in their DNA, right? So they are about football. They are about getting to the next level, about working out. And, yeah, I mean, we've seen it already with PJ being on campus with his commitment to the nutrition program, to the, uh, you know, the, the strength program, everything like that. There is, I mean, barring anything crazy happening, and we hope he stays healthy throughout his entire career, but – We've got a special one on our hands. <laughs> and let me just let me just provide some further context as to how freaky PJ is in comparison to his older brother Tommy because Tommy as I mentioned about 61 and a half, 282 pounds, played defensive tackle in college. The word is he's working with the defensive ends at the combine and he's a guy that has some positional versatility but he doesn't have nearly the length and overall athleticism that PJ does. When we're talking about PJ, we're talking about a guy that's six foot four, 240 pounds, a wingspan over seven feet. And if you want to know what his 40 time is, Travis, PJ ran an official laser timed 4.58 at the Jeez. future 50 last July. 4.58 to win the fastest big man competition. So I'm going to safely assume that over the next three or four years, he's going to be able to knock a tenth of a second off that 40 time and be running in the four fours whenever his time comes at the combine. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, you you have to – if you're Jerry Schmitty and you, you know, meet PJ for the first time, you have to look at that like like, like Gordon Ramsay looks at a, an, a Japanese A5 Wagyu loin that just – got unwrapped on his butcher block like he has to just be thinking my goodness look at what I get to work with what look at what not only genetics but again the mental the commitment to getting better the commitment to taking care of your body uh you know commitment to nutrition and all that like Schmitty has to be over the moon right now now I I tweeted this out yesterday after Tommy ran his 449 but I was talking to PJ at the All-American game in January as they were going through their testing prior to the actual game itself in the practice sessions. And we talked for probably 10, 15 minutes. I was there with him and Dylan Edwards, Caden Green, all the guys up in the Kansas, Missouri area that I covered extensively last recruiting cycle. And I asked PJ about Tommy because at that point he declared for the draft and was starting draft prep. And so – I said, dude, like, where do you, where do you think Tommy's going to get drafted come April? And he said, oh, he's probably going to go break a couple of position records in testing at the Combine. So we'll see. I'm thinking day two. And he said it so matter-of-factly. Like, you could tell he not only believed it, but he just thought it was no big deal. Like, yeah, my brother's going to go break a couple records at the Combine for defensive tackle testing. And it's lo so and behold – he did. Now, I think he's officially been categorized at the NFL Combine as a defensive end, which is unfortunate because, again, he played defensive tackle in college. And were he to be officially classified with the defensive tackles, that would by far and away be the fastest time ever run by a defensive tackle at the Combine. I mean, not close. 
Yeah, well, and that's what I, I wish they would have because when they're reporting it, they were like, yeah, well, that's nowhere close to – and, of course, Nolan ran – Nolan Smith ran like a four three nine. It was insane. But at the same time, he's got – like he's 45 pounds lighter. 45 pounds lighter than uh, than Adebore. So it's like – just at that sheer size, I just wish they would have reported it differently because while it's getting tons of attention, I, don't, I still don't think it's getting the intention. I mean, I was listening when Tyler – because I, I had sent the link to Tyler. I was listening – to when he told Teddy about it, and Teddy didn't believe it. Teddy, he's like at two eighty. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. He's like, that's. He's like, read that again. Read that again. Because yeah, I mean, that's that is simply moving, man. Somebody on the text line from the four hundred two says PJ might have a comp of OU great Dan Cody. Look, I've said it before. I will say it again. There is no OU comp for PJ. Because he's Dan Cody with like a, a foot longer wingspan. The best, the best comp, and it's been a comparison that's made several times, and I believe is actually his player comp on his 24-7 sports recruiting profile, is Otega Owe's older brother, Jason Uwe, or I guess he's known now as Odafe Uwe. He was a first-round draft pick a couple years back at the Baltimore Ravens, went to Penn State, very similar to P.J. physically, six foot five in the 250 to 260 range with freakishly long arms. So you want to talk about a unicorn, at least in the sense that there's really no past or present OU player that you can compare him to. PJ Atabare is that guy in the 2023 signing class for Oklahoma. All right, we're going to catch up with Brandon Drum coming up next here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Grill Boy and Thune at noon. Brandon Drum of OU Insider on the 24-7 Sports Network is out and about down in Florida right now. We're going to hit him from the Tampa airport where he has been out checking out Oklahoma's top targets down in the southeast. We'll get all the recruiting juice from him coming up next. Keep it here on the Home of Sooner Fans. It is time for our weekly chat with Brandon Drum of OU Insider and 24-7 Sports. Here on Steelman and Thune at noon, Parker Thune, Travis Davidson with you on a Friday. Brandon is in the Tampa airport right now. He's been down in the southeast this week on the recruiting trail, checking out some of Oklahoma's top targets in the region. Brandon, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your schedule to join the program and I want to keep things broad up front because I want to give you the opportunity to take this whatever direction you prefer to take it. But what's one thing that you've picked up on your travels over the last few days that you think Oklahoma fans should know about Oklahoma's recruiting efforts down in the Alabama, Georgia, Florida vicinity? Uh, That it's alive and well. That the fact that moving to the SEC is huge and people are really paying attention to it at this point. I mean, it's... It's one of those deals where I I was shocked by just the amount of interest, even in some of the 25 people that I I came across that were like, yeah, man, like the fact they're coming to the SEC means a lot. They're going to try to make trips up there. I mean, Travars Banks, four-star safety out of the Birmingham, Alabama area is going to, uh, or Tuscaloosa, I can't remember. It's one of those two areas, literally the same area, but, um, He's going to be safety, and he's going to take a trip up to Oklahoma this weekend. He was down at the uh, Under Armour camp in Georgia. Uh, talked about Oklahoma quite a bit. Really liked Oklahoma. 
uh, and his relationship with Coach Belay, uh Coach Banks, Coach Venables, who's grown to the point where he has enough interest to take a visit this weekend to Oklahoma. So you have players like that, and then obviously David Stone, who originates from uh, Oklahoma, and he's going to be back in Oklahoma on March 13th. Uh, he talked to me exclusively about it. Like, we got him in a group, but then he kind of came over and started talking to me. I've known him since he was in seventh grade. So he came over and started talking to me and doing all that type of stuff. And he kind of said, look, man, this, this thing with Oklahoma and, and Michigan State is just different. And people want to throw out Michigan State as not a viable option when they are. Uh, he's going to take his dad and his mom and everybody back up there on March 14th. But then he's going to come back to the Oklahoma area after that visit. So he'll be back to Norman, hanging out with his sister. He'll probably make another trip to the campus of Oklahoma. So Oklahoma's going to get not just that March 13th, but they're going to get a day or two with him again before he heads back to IMG. And then, obviously, he's going to uh, probably make an official – well, maybe probably. He said he's going to make an official to Oklahoma because that's something he wants to, to see. He wants to see Oklahoma – in an official setting and not just him kicking it. He wants to be treated like the five-star he is, and he wants to give Oklahoma the biggest chance and best chance. Uh, those two are going to battle it out, uh, and he should have a decision done before uh, the, his uh, season kicks off in September. Now, now, Brandon, um, you had put some stuff out on Twitter about a specific um, burger you're enjoying. Hey, I knew that would intrigue you. So, do you know uh, why it's called the Boomer Sooner Burger? No, I've been trying to Google it and look it all up, and I can't figure it out. I only know this because I I only know this because people have uh, asked about this before. Um, It's actually they named it Square One, the restaurant in the Tampa Airport that serves the double bacon Boomer Sooner. Uh, They named it Square One because these restaurant owners wanted to get back to their roots, which were burgers. Their first restaurant they ever owned was in 1964 called Across the Street, and it was located across the street from the University of Oklahoma. So oh, wow. that's, they, their, their roots are serving burgers in Norman, Oklahoma in the 60s. So that's why that's how Square One got its name, and that's why you have a Boomer Sooner Burger down there in Tampa. With the Sooner sauce, man. It all tastes really good, by the way. <laughs> good, good. So I, I, aside from burgers, uh, I did uh, want to – a, congratulate you, of course, uh, on air about uh, your new bundle of joy on the way. Um, and then also talk a little bit about, like, specifically the Atlanta trip. Like, specifically Georgia prospects, specifically, you know, Georgia, over the last decade especially, they're turning out, you know, one of the highest rates of five stars. I believe they go back and forth with Florida. Um, talk about kind of the – the Georgia ties now, how that relates to Sammy Brown, how that relates to others in that state, in that area? Yeah, I mean, look, Oklahoma, obviously they've gotten guys out of there. They've got Hazelwood, obviously Orlando Brown, Anton Savage, and I'm trying to, uh, they got a couple of guys, Trey Sermon, uh, and they still have a couple of guys on uh, the roster right now from Georgia, but I mean, as a whole, Oklahoma hasn't done a really big job in the state of Georgia, and with the move to the SEC, you know, I didn't go down there specifically going, oh, Oklahoma's got a bunch of targets and whatnot. Look, they've offered 22 guys 
in the state of Georgia, or 23, 24, something like that, in the state of Georgia, in the 2024 class, and I think they've offered four or five already in 2025. And it's going to be a focal point. Don't get me wrong. Like, that's Venables and Bates and all those guys, roof, roof. Like, that's where they, they stem from. That's where they have their recruiting grounds from. Drew Gill, uh, the offensive uh, recruiting analyst for them and the scout, lead scout uh, for the offensive side, he stems from North Gwinnett, Georgia as well. So there's a lot of Georgia connections on the stack. Well, having said that, Oklahoma hasn't been real successful either. And so I, I don't expect them to be super successful in 2024, but I think 25, 26, 27, I think they'll start seeing an uptick of Georgia preps targets where Oklahoma lands a defensive lineman, they land a, you know, a defensive back or offensive lineman, a wide receiver or whatnot. And it's not going to be just one or two. It's going to be two or three. You saw that with Florida where they landed two or three for a few years, and now they're going six and seven every cycle. So it's, it's going to take time to build that pipeline up, and that's kind of Venable's, I guess, Ideologically, ideological idea of way of doing things is, you know, he wants to start in Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and then they want to branch out to Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, and DMV, and then over to California and whatever else. They can start nitpicking some of the big targets across the country. So it's it's going to take time, and obviously Georgia puts out a ton of big names and a ton of targets every year that are just elite. And Georgia can't take them all. Alabama can't take them all. Clemson can't take them all. So if you're going to go head-to-head with Auburn, you have a chance of winning those battles. If you're going to go head-to-head with Tennessee, you have a chance of winning those battles. Same with Florida, Florida State. Although, yeah, they're closer, but you're going to be playing down in that region every other year from this point on. And that is going to make a massive difference on the recruiting trail. Brandon, if the Sooners are able to get their 2024 class rolling with a commitment or two in the aftermath of this Junior Day weekend, maybe it doesn't necessarily become public or maybe it doesn't happen this weekend, but if in the not-too-distant future we're talking about one of the guys that was on campus for Oklahoma this Saturday that is to come being their first commitment of the 2024 class. Give me your short list. Give me three guys that you think could fit that bill. Uh, I think, obviously, you got to go Jaden Hardy. I think four-star safety um, out of Flower Mound, Texas. I think he's, he's a guy – or Louisville, Texas, excuse me. He's a guy that Oklahoma's in really, really well with, and I think he has a chance to – well, Oklahoma has a chance to land him. He's wanted to get up to Oklahoma and spend a lot of time at Oklahoma quite a bit. And he's, from my understanding, he's got Oklahoma pretty much near the top, if not the top of his list at this juncture. Uh, I think another guy would be K.J. Daniels out of Franklinton, Louisiana, the wide receiver that's just blown up over the last month or so. Oklahoma's in a really good spot for him. Uh, and then, obviously, you got to go with Michael Hawkins, uh, four-star quarterback, uh, yeah, I know, I know Brian. Frisco Emerson, uh, I think he's a guy that he's battled, they're battling TCU. And he visited TCU on Wednesday night. And obviously he's going to check out Oklahoma. I think a, a decision's coming in the next two or three weeks wouldn't shock me. 
Michael Boganowski out of Johnson City, Kansas, the safety slash linebacker, kind of do it all type player. Uh, I think he's another name to watch. And then the Lumen brothers, I think, out of Florida, Miami, Florida, Norland High School, Tycool Hill and uh, Tyclean. And yes, those are the real names. Uh, they have Oklahoma really, really high on their list. It's the third time they visited. So those are the type of names that I would watch right now as far as guys that can be potentially popping here in the next month or so and get the ball rolling for Oklahoma in the 2024 class. Brandon, we appreciate your time. Travel safe. We'll catch up with you again next Friday. All right. Thank you, guys. That is Brandon Drum, OU Insider, 24-7 Sports, talking OU recruiting. When we return on the other side of the break here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, going to wrap up hour number one, hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line, answer whatever questions you guys have posed to us on the text line over the last 45 minutes or so. So keep those questions, concerns, thoughts, comments coming. We're talking NFL Combine. We're talking recruiting. talking OU Spring Football all day here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Stay here. Steel Man and Thune at noon, which this week is actually Grill Boy and Thune at noon. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson here with you until 2 p.m. No Steely today. No Steely all week. He'll be back on Monday. The Air Comfort Solutions text line is open to all of you at 405-651-3439. Travis, let's head there right now. What do you got? Well, I, 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 as you say, Grill Boy and Thune, it, 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 it made me think of a, a show name would be Chat GBT. Would be uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yes. We need to okay. We're that, we're gonna title. We're gonna make that the title of our Twitter space. Yep. Chat GBT Grillboy and Thune. All right. Cool. Well, to the text line, like you said, uh, from the four hundred five from Stephen Choctaw. Guys, just curious. Where is the running back from Carl Albert ranked in two four seven? I asked the two four seven insider yourself. Uh, where Xavier Robinson? Uh, is ranked, is he going to get ranked, and what, how does it look like OU is handling that situation? Yeah, does not have a ranking yet. He will. I expect him to be a high three-star guy at the very least. Could work himself into blue-chip territory with a strong senior year. He's got size. I think the big question is, what does he become at the collegiate level? Because he's almost too big to be a running back, Travis, which is the position that he plays right now at Carl Albert. Oklahoma has offered him. I think if he does end up in Norman and he is a take for the Sooners, I by the way, that's a guy that 100% will be a take because you can't afford not to take in-state guys and risk burning those bridges. So Robinson is a take for Oklahoma. If he ends up in the class, I'm very curious to see what he becomes because I don't think he ends up a pure running back. Yeah, and, and you bring up uh, Carl Albert. You, you can't miss out on local kids. After seeing the 2025 offers that went out, uh, Carl Albert specifically is you know a school you don't want to miss out on because they've they've already got probably what two or three offers already out for the 2025 class, which is loaded. But I say that you know to kind of bring this up, we've heard of the job that Demarco is doing, right? He's yes. letting everybody come back, sit with him. He's got probably six or seven blue chip guys that you know Oklahoma has a really good shot at or leads and the number one running back in the country according to 247 wants an Oklahoma offer and DeMarco hasn't even given him one that that shows you how loaded that is now when Brandon was talking in the last segment it kind of it, it kind of reminded me or it pointed something out to me so Jaden Hardy top 10 safety 
Uh, you got Aaron Flowers, you know, close to a top ten safety. Yep. You got Phil Samey. You got Boganowski. You got all this. Talk to us a little bit about the job that Brandon Hall is doing on the recruiting trail because I think what DeMarco is doing uh, is is kind of, you know, overshadowing uh, what the Big 12 Recruiter of the Year is doing. Yeah, and well, and Brandon Hall's work should not be overshadowed by anyone or anything because in year one on Oklahoma staff, he arguably did a better job recruiting than any of the Sooner staffers individually. There's a reason why he was named Big 12 Recruiter of the Year. And, yeah, Miguel Chavis went and got P.J. Atabare, and, yeah, Jeff Lebby ran point on the Jackson Arnold recruitment. But Brandon Hall signed Eric McCarty. He signed Peyton Bowen. He signed Day McCullough, and he signed Kendall Dolby. Oh, and he helped out pretty substantially in the recruitment of Samuel Masigo as well. So it feels like we do a lot more talking about him on this radio station than there is discourse about him elsewhere. But just want to continually reemphasize Brandon Hall is a dynamo on the recruiting trail, and the Sooners are very fortunate to have him as their safeties coach. That's it for hour number one here on Steel Man and Thune at Noon with Travis Davidson all week long. On the other side of the break, we'll dive into hour number two. You got spring football questions. Hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. We'll be right back. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson, talking with you for another hour here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. The home of Sooner fans, 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line if you want to chime in. And many of you already have. We're going to go right back there in just a moment to get to some of your questions. The 1 p.m. hour of the program is brought to you by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 is where you'll want to stop for an outstanding deal. On a new or used vehicle with Seth Wadley and his team, secure that fantastic guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on new or used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you when you purchase from Seth Wadley. Travis Davidson, back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line we go, and you mentioned at the end of last hour that DeMarco Murray has yet to offer the number one running back in the 2024 class, Jarrett Gibson of IMG Academy, despite the fact that that he has wanted to know you offer for a long, long, long time. And we had a listener in the 918 that asked, humor me, but why the heck would you not offer the number one running back in the country? You want to shed some light on that, Travis? Yeah, and we have a pretty good example of this already, actually, but DeMarco Murray knows the running back position. I don't think anybody would um, – you know, would argue that he's very tight yeah, with Bill Far Beatenbow, be it from me who, I mean, to ever like, question an evaluation that DeMarco Murray makes. Right. These these offensive coaches, especially like DeMarco and Bill get together and, and, and they and Levy and they all talk about it and, and DeMarco knows what he's looking for. So he has his own big board. You know, you hear this a lot on draft night, everything like that. Do you take the best available? Do you take fit? Do you take this, that, and the other? DeMarco ranks his own guys. So DeMarco has guys like Caden Durham and James Peoples. These are the guys that he's got ranked above Jared Gibson. So with that, we have an example of this. Lincoln Riley was asked by the Manning family to recruit Arch Manning. He never recruited him. He never offered him. Arch Manning was always the number one consensus recruit, let alone the number one quarterback. He said, I got my guy, Malachi Nelson. I think he's a better quarterback, and that's who I'm going to recruit. 
So you have situations like this where you can't just always go by, you know, the ranking, not to knock 247 or anything, but it's on three rivals. Everybody's got their own opinions on this kind of stuff. If DeMarco picks out any basically running backs he wants in the country, then I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with his opinions on this offense, how he wants to use them, how he wants to coach them, and a lot of it, to be honest, can come down to personality, can come down to relationships, can come down to maybe areas of the country that you want to continue to recruit better. There's so much more than just goes into, hey, this kid's ranked high, so we'll take him. This kid's ranked high, so we'll take him. That's how you get a lot of Texas's classes back under uh, Tom Herman. Took a lot of highly ranked guys. But it wasn't really like they they weren't really developed and evaluated at an elite level. To that point, I I bring this up example or I bring this example up quite frequently when we're talking recruiting. Do you remember this is probably goes back 10 years now, Travis. You remember how controversial it was when Bob Stoops decided not to recruit David Cornwell out of Norman North? Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. And I mean, Bob took flack for that major flack from fans and pundits alike. You know what David Cornwell did at the FBS level? Absolutely freaking nothing. By 2018, he was playing Weird. East Central. So Weird. coaches tend to know what they're doing. And obviously, not all coaches are immune from bad evals, but we have, <laughs> we have seen literally nothing from DeMarco Murray in his career as a coach to get the sense that he doesn't know what he's looking for when it comes to evaluating talent at the running back position and developing that talent as well. I know it's early. I know DeMarco is only going into, what, his fourth year as Oklahoma's running backs coach now. But this is a guy that played the position at a very, very high level, was the NFL Offensive Player of the Year in 2014. So DeMarco knows probably just as well, if not better, than any other running back coach in the nation what he's looking for and who he can develop within the specifications of the Oklahoma offense to the betterment of not just that individual, but the OU offensive system as a whole. Uh, Ronnie Crimson on the text line asked, what 40 time do you think Mims will post? Any chance he's in the 4-3? Of course, NFL Combine going on uh, throughout the week. Jalen Redmond is the only Sooner that has tested thus far. He ran a 4-8-5 officially in the 40-yard dash. What do you think we're looking at for Marvin Mims, Travis? Well, I had one of his, um, again, former coaches uh, reach out to me yesterday and say, book it at 446, uh, 446 or better. So um, I'm kind of putting him in that range. I don't think he's quite as fast as guys like uh, Gavin Sawchuck or Gentry Williams and these guys. I think he's a – uh, maybe a step slower. So I put him in probably mid to low four fours. It's it's interesting. Um, I, if he if he were to run a four four six, I'm trying to think offhand, and I'm having trouble. Travis, help me out. When was the last time a Sooner ran as low as a four four six at the NFL Combine? Um, at the NFL Combine, it's been a minute. I know I'd have that. To think about it. well because. Part of the problem is when you think of the no-brainer fast guys, they didn't run. Exactly. Like when you think of Hollywood and Kyler and these guys, you're like, hey, who's all of our speedsters that we can brag about, you know, on radio programs and in combine time, 
you know, in the middle of March. You know, we, we need you guys to run these. If there's any, like, you know, kids in the car that are listening with your parents or if you're just really tuned in as an 8- or 9-year-old, if you are representing Oklahoma at the Combine when you get older, please run the 40 so we can brag about you guys. Uh, from the 405, what about Gavin Sawchuck, whom, of course, you mentioned is one of the fastest guys on the roster right now at Oklahoma. This listener wants to know, you guys think he's RB1, and I don't know where you stand on it, Travis, Ooh. but – I don't think you're looking at an RB1 in Oklahoma's offense in 2023. I think you're looking at an RB1A and an RB1B, that being Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, respectively. Couldn't agree more. I think this is a thunder-lightning scenario if you ever had one, right? Uh, I think you've got kind of the, the bruiser, the more physical guy. I mean, you saw Javante Barnes at times last year. I thought he was going to get a targeting penalty while he was carrying the ball. So... I mean, you've got the physical guy. Obviously, uh, you saw in the bowl game Gavin Sawchuck get in there and really climb. Like like you see a quarterback climb a pocket, you saw him really climb You know, the other side of the line, climb that second level and get away from those linebackers with that breakaway speed. Now, I think either of them can be you know, kind of in a bell cow role, but the more we're seeing it in today's game, whether it be pro or college, you have kind of that one-two punch, right? You have a Zeke and Pollard. You have a Samaje and Mixon. You have, I mean, the the you know, New England Patriots always had ten running backs in their in their Brady dynasty. So you, you're seeing that, and you're seeing, especially around draft time, do you still have tread left on the tires? I mean, you think back to guys like Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson, and and these guys, they were worried that maybe they had too many carries you know, in college. So these running backs know that their ultimate goal is to get to the NFL. They want to showcase their skills, but they don't want 40 carries a game, right? So I agree with you, Parker. Not a RB1, RB2 situation. I think you've just got a two-headed monster in the backfield. I agree with you 100%, Travis. And I think it's – we've very much been of the same mind in terms of how the Oklahoma running back room shapes up in 2023 for quite some time, because I think in the post Eric Gray era, it's always been evident that Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck were going to be the new two headed monster in the Oklahoma backfield. And I, I go back to Javante Barnes's recruitment throughout calendar year, 2021. And one of the things that he continually professed about why he liked the fit at Oklahoma was a DeMarco Murray but also the reality that Oklahoma wasn't going to run him into the ground. They weren't going to hand him the ball 30 times a game. He was going to, in all likelihood, rotate with another back and split carries. And so I just I want folks to understand that's something that these backs are on board with. You're not going to have to worry about alienating or disenfranchising one of them because they don't have the bell cow duty in the backfield. Gavin Sawchuck wants to split touches. Javante Barnes wants to split touches because the shelf life for a running back these days, and it's this has always been the case, the shelf life for a running back is so short as is that, as Travis mentioned, you want to have tread on the tires and a lot of it as you get ready to make the transition to the NFL. And so the fresher you can keep Barnes and Sawchuck and the more evenly you can split the carries between them, the better it befits your offense and those two individuals. Um, Gunner from Grove on the text line says, Emmett Jones just tweeted the video of DJ Graham's one-handed interception against Nebraska and mentioned that the football gods placed him in his wide receiver room. 
Are we underestimating what DJ is going to be this year? Um, I think, Parker, uh, maybe unfairly, I think we're all a, you know, I'll believe it when I see it type of guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like we're kind of falling into that kind of basket, if you will, uh, because, yeah, we know he's got talent. We know he can catch the ball. But now let's let's see him move into the receiver room. He might be absolutely crazy. I mean, I think uh, when Theo Weiss left, some people were asking him some questions on Twitter or something like that, and he brought up DJ Graham as a guy. I think he compared him to OBJ. I think he was like, hey, man, that guy – that guy's the real deal. And, you know, is this teammates trying to pump up their friends or, you know, just being supportive or anything like that? I – who knows, right? I mean, I, I'll, we're looking for somebody opposite Farouk, right? You've got Drake, Farouk, and then Mystery Box as a starter. So DJ Graham has as good a chance as any. I, I kind of want DJ Graham to just have a ridiculous year pop off for like 1,500 yards just so the narrative can become Alex Grinch can only get half-decent defensive backs when he steals them from the wide receiver room. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun for this fan base? Yeah, I think this fan base uh, already has plenty of narratives. Why not one more? All right, we're going to hit a quick break here on Steel Man and Thune at Noon, Grill Boy at Thune at Noon on this Friday. On the other side of the break – Very interesting things happening right now regarding the Oklahoma football schedule and the SEC's scheduling model as Oklahoma, of course, prepares to make this transition to the conference come July 1st of next year. Now, there's one permanent opponent that it very much looks like Oklahoma's going to end up playing every single year, and I am all about it. In fact, I'd mentioned it as a possibility for the last couple weeks on this very station in this very time slot, and it now looks like it's going to happen. We'll talk about that and more coming up next. Keep it here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson here with you on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Doing this show Twitter space style on a Friday. The Air Comfort Solutions text line is open to you at 405-651-3439. And several of you have continued to pour in your questions, thoughts, opinions. Patrick on the text line is advocating for the ref combine. Travis, if, you, if, if there's one event in the combine that you feel like you could win amongst the ref staff, obviously Teddy is not allowed to compete because he would win everything. Right. But you take Teddy Lehman out of the picture. What event you think you could win at the ref combine? Ooh, win, uh, and we're going. Uh, we're going traditional uh, combine events, right? We're yes, not traditional like, combine events. No, like wing eating contest. Oh right? uh, dang! I was about to say it's not like whoever can eat the spiciest uh, pepper or something, because I feel like I feel like that should be part of the combine, anyways. But um, let's see. Oh man, I I mean, I don't know. I think I'd probably finish. Near the top, maybe in uh, 40? Near the top. not Maybe not win, but definitely near the top. Um, is Pierce involved in this? Because we understand that Pierce apparently is just the best at everything. Because, I mean, bowling, tennis, whatever whatever you need. So if Pierce is in so, it, then I'm So the I'm non-revenue not sports. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, Pierce is involved. I'm not winning anything, but I, I like that. I like that I'm probably up near the top in 40. Okay. What about you, Mr. In your young 20s guy? I, man, I imagine you'd fare pretty well. I feel like the shuttle, maybe the uh, the three cone, anything that requires change of direction, I feel like I could I could put up a fight in one I've of I've seen your uh, pickleball film. Um, yeah, I tell you, you what, uh, man. Pickleball? Tell you what. I, I, I can get down with pickleball. Pickleball is fun. Well, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like you would be, uh, you would be up there in in many of them. But I, I was, I actually just texted Tyler. I thought Patrick had a great idea. I think maybe even at the spring game during the pregame show or something, we get we get something going on where we're timing forties and doing verticals or something like that. Many a waivers would have to be signed though, because y'all can't be having you know heart attacks and blowing out your knees on our dime. Okay, I teased it in the last segment. We need to get to it because OU Lou says, I need to go back to work. Who is the one team that OU will have on their permanent schedule in the SEC? (laughs) It's looking like Florida, folks. It's looking like that OU-Florida matchup, which if you recall, Steely and I had talked about and I had mentioned there was some interesting buzz behind the scenes that maybe, just maybe, Florida would be the third permanent opponent beyond Missouri and Texas for OU in the SEC. Well, per a report from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, who is one of the best in the business when it comes to inside information as far as scheduling and administration and all of the organizational happenings within college football. According to a report about an hour ago from Ross Dellinger, it appears as though Florida, Missouri, and Texas – are in line to be Oklahoma's three permanent annual opponents in the SEC. What do you think of that, Travis? Well, I think uh, I think OU's been pushing for it. To be honest, um, I think it's good for them. They obviously, as as Drum brought up last hour, um, they obviously are wanting to make that a uh, you know priority in recruiting. Um, obviously, as we see how Florida State goes with Mike Norvell, see what happens with the ACC, with them in Miami, Florida with Napier. I mean, they're still looking for a wide receiver and a tight end coach. They don't, they, they've they had those positions vacated, and they start spring ball, I think, uh, like tomorrow. So, um, you know, it had, it had been reported that Florida would be the school, and I, and I personally would love it. I would absolutely love it. How about you? Give me that series 10 times out of 10 over any other series with any other SEC team, save obviously for Texas. Travis, this is the one I want. And I did not think this was going to happen. I'll be honest. Not until up about two or three weeks ago did I think it was going to happen. But I remember having this conversation a year ago, probably, when it became apparent that the SEC was going to adopt this scheduling model once OU and Texas joined. And... Steely posed the question to the text line and to me, you know, what does your ideal slate look like? And obviously, I don't think Missouri is in anybody's ideal slate, but I can't remember who I said in addition to Texas and Florida. But my whole thing was, look, obviously, Texas is going to be one of your perennial opponents in the SEC because the Red River Showdown isn't going anywhere. But to me, give me Florida, man. That stadium is fantastic. That fan base is fantastic. I think there's potential, especially given those two programs' history, when you think back to the 2008 National Championship game, which Tim Tebow and the Gators won over Sam Bradford and the Sooners. 
I think there's potential that that could turn into a fun little rivalry series. Obviously, it's never going to touch the OU-Texas rivalry or the Florida-Georgia rivalry, but I can see a really compelling rivalry between those two programs that will develop over the first decade or so that they're in the SEC. Yeah, especially when especially when keynote speaker Dan Mullen becomes our quarterback coach. Uh, Patrick says, Texas's <laughs> schedule, whoa. I got to look back at the tweet from Ross because I only paid attention to OU's schedule. But let me go ahead and try to give you all the rundown as to what this full schedule will look like for each of the SEC programs. So uh, you're... Te- Texas is Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. Oh, man. So you get Texas and A&M back. Because I didn't think either school wanted that. I didn't uh, think Texas wanted that. I didn't think Texas A&M wanted that. I think the amount of money they just couldn't. They just couldn't say no so to So you're it. telling me that series is coming back? Yes, Lord, yes and amen. Okay, so here's what, according to Ross Dellinger, here is what the best educated guess of the three permanent opponents for each SEC team would look like. He says he's spoken to league insiders, and if the SEC moves to a nine-game model, which is in no way official, here's what it could likely look like. I'll keep it to only the relevant SEC teams because nobody cares about Missouri or Mississippi State or Vanderbilt's schedule, for instance, right? But uh, Texas A&M would have LSU, Texas, and Mississippi State. Texas would have Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas. OU, of course, as we mentioned, would have Texas, Missouri, and Florida. LSU would have Ole Miss, A&M, and Alabama. Alabama would have Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. That'll be fun. Auburn would have Bama, Georgia, Vanderbilt. Tennessee would have Vanderbilt, Bama, South Carolina. Florida's two permanent opponents outside of OU would be Georgia and South Carolina. Georgia's would be Auburn, Florida, and Kentucky. And Shane Beamer and South Carolina, their three permanent opponents would be Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. So again, that is in no way official, but... Ross Dellinger is a guy that has a good beat on what's going on behind the scenes and the inner workings of college football. And so this is a report worth paying attention to. Oklahoma, Florida, potentially on the horizon every single year in the new SEC. Georgia gets taken care of again. They got five. (laughs) The teams that Georgia would have are five and seven Auburn last year. Um, seven and six Kentucky and six and seven Florida. Ooh, that is uh, that is nice. I know it's cyclical and schools come and you know come and go, but man, that is uh, that's pretty sweet for Georgia. But yeah, interesting tweet from Ross. Like I said, he's been good. He just did the cheers emoji with it, so that's kind of you know, is this a report? Is this his guess? Is this you know? Is this whatever. Ross? punching out so he can go have a beer and know that his work is done yeah is russ, know, is russ knowing that this will into the weekend he's like look i can just send this tweet it'll carry the uh content all throughout the weekend i'll check back on monday a listener in the 918 and this is this has been a popular text over the last few minutes something to this effect of this text from the 918 a thousand times no to missouri please lord give us arkansas Look, I would rather have Arkansas than Missouri, too, but this this was never going to be 
perfection. We yeah, were never going to get to play Missouri. It. Yeah, somebody somebody's got to play, Missouri. play Missouri. Nobody and wants to play Missouri. It's not like OU was going to get a slate of Texas, Florida, Alabama. Right? There was going to be – you were probably going to have to be okay with two of the three matchups being really, really compelling. Because I think that's the case for – just about every team in the SEC right now, save maybe for Alabama, which, as I mentioned, would get Auburn, Tennessee, LSU. And as long as Josh Heupel continues to keep Tennessee on the up and up, those are going to be three nationally relevant matchups every single year. But I will gladly take Missouri as a permanent opponent in SEC play, Travis, if it means that Oklahoma gets Texas and Florida as the other two. And obviously Texas was a given, but I'll – I'll take Missouri if it means Florida comes along with it. You know, you know what would have been really fun with Parker is if they announced this like March Madness style. You know the rooms of the teams that are all <laughs> sitting in the uh, like sitting in in their facility watching the TV, seeing what seed they're going to be, or even the college football, seeing what seed they're going to be. You know who they're going to play. I think it would have been fascinating, Parker. You get the entire football, even the administration, everything in the same room. You know, uh, on their facility and. You just do it team by team. So they go like, all right, you know, Auburn, you're going to get Vanderbilt. And they're like, all right, sweet. That's a win every year. Let's go. And then the next one is Bama. He said, oh, okay, okay, a loss every year, no problem. Let's just let's get our third card here, Georgia. You're like, oh, man, I thought we were going to have a favorable schedule. But I think getting reactions in real time, I need to, I need to be in TV, man. This is a golden opportunity. You know how many people would watch that? Jeez. Brian in Tulsa says, I say Arkansas too, but you have to have that Texas-Arkansas rivalry back along with the Red River Showdown. That would be nostalgic. That's a great point. Texas gets three rivalry series as their three permanent opponents. They get the A&M rivalry back. They obviously get the Red River Showdown, and they get to renew that old SWC rivalry series with Arkansas. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand how much Arkansas people hate Texas. But, Parker, sometimes a team has a lot of rivals because everybody hates that team. <laughs> and and that's what Texas has. A lot of people just really hate Texas. So they're going to have more people, you know, creating these rivalries. But, yeah, the old SWC rivalry that's way back, absolutely. When, when Arkansas ran the ball all over Texas – that made a lot of older Arkansas fans smile from ear to ear. Brisket on the text line points out, worth repeating that Ross Dellinger is saying the schedule is nothing more than an educated guess. Yes, cannot emphasize this enough. It is not official yet. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing is concrete. But that is Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated's best guess at what the three-team or the three-six model would look like uh, as far as Oklahoma's three permanent opponents in the SEC moving forward. Missouri, Texas, Florida. Another listener says, Missouri is fine with me, guaranteed win every year. And another says, the way we're recruiting the Kansas City area, I like the Mizzou game. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point to bring up, right? If you just simply look at kind of the players that you know Arkansas is putting out right now, uh, in the 2024 class alone, they only have – one player in the uh, rivals top 250 uh, and you can just go right on over to Missouri and uh, you can find one two three four five six players in the 
uh, rival or the uh, 247 top uh, 247 rankings. Obviously, chief among them, Williams Winery, and then Jay Sean Ross, the uh, top 10 uh, edge rusher. Um, from the Kansas City, Missouri area. So you start to look at guys like that. Yes, you've got that. Obviously, you've got Isaiah Mosey kind of heading up that 2025 uh, in Missouri. So, yeah, at least right now, I know Arkansas has had some talent for sure, but Missouri right now, uh, you know, especially with Lee Summit North and whatnot, they're putting out some dudes. All right, keep the text line popping, 405-651-3439. We'll hit a quick break. Be right back to continue talking OU football and recruiting with all of you, all of you loyal members of the Ref Army. We're excited to have you along here on a Friday, counting down to the weekend. Keep it here on the Ref, the home of Sooner fans. How are we feeling about Gainesville? Florida well, potentially well on the docket as the third permanent opponent in the SEC for Oklahoma. Once they make that transition, they join Texas and Missouri. That is not official. However, per a report from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, which we've been discussing all hour here on the program, it's looking like there's a lot of buzz for Florida to be that third permanent opponent. And I love it, Travis Davidson. I love it. Now, a listener in the 405 says, I know this is a recruiting show. I'm not sure what that has to do with the rest of their observation on the text line, but they say, the ability for fans to travel to the games is much more important, plus the travel cost for minor sports. Arkansas, please. So it doesn't sound like that particular listener is on board with the Florida trip. What say you? Are you worried about travel costs for fans if Florida is a permanent opponent? Um, yeah, I mean, it's getting more expensive to go to games. There's no doubt about that. And living in Tulsa, of course, Arkansas Fayetteville is very close to me. And obviously, I have many family ties to the university. So I would love to see Arkansas. But it's, you know, it is tough to get a bunch of people to go to the stadiums and and travel and everything like that. But I would rather have a pipeline into Florida to potentially win a national championship because at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. If, if you know, maybe every other year you save up to go to the swamp, something like that. I mean, I don't feel like there's a ton different, Parker, from saving up to go to Notre Dame or Ohio State or like Georgia that we were doing or Michigan coming up. You know, just save up, see what the OU club uh, is doing, the Sooner Club's doing. Uh, there's ways to hopefully do it affordably. Um, but you know, I, I'm hoping in general college football enjoyment gets, you know, at least stops getting more expensive. It's never going to get cheaper, but yeah, the travel aspect is kind of a bummer, but at a certain point going to the sec was going to include more travel. Like it just, it it just is what it is. We're the, we're the West side of the conference. We're eventually going to have to go East. Blacktop on the text line says, why couldn't they do an East against the west i'm i need a little more clarity as to what that text is suggesting maybe but, east of east division like as in not verse but like why couldn't have they done an east division and a west division maybe or just add schools like they currently 
have an SEC West and SEC East, obviously. But what I think is happening, I mean, what I know is happening across college football is people are getting rid of divisions. And I think when, Parker, when we were talking about this earlier in the year, which would you like to see, pods, or would you like to see the three rivals? Would you like to see a one and eight? Would you like to see divisions? I am of the belief that the less annual schools that you play, the more opportunity you have to play and visit more schools, right? I mean, that's just a mathematical fact, right? So I think you stay away from divisions. It opens up. I mean, I don't think Georgia's still been to College Station since since Texas A&M joined the Big 12. If they have, they've only been once, which is absolutely absurd. You want every class to be able to play every SEC school and host every SEC school if you are there for four years. That's what you really want. Patrick on the text line says, better than USC and UCLA travel. Oh, good gracious. Well, if their Imagine. fans traveled, yes, I'd be concerned about that. <laughs> they have enough trouble filling their own stadiums at this point. But it makes me wonder, Travis, at what point do we have the overcorrection? At what point does the pendulum swing back in the other direction in college football? Because I think the era that we're entering in which – geography matters not at all when it comes to conference alignment. I, I don't know if that can last forever. And I feel like we may get to a point at which, much like the NFL, we have two super conferences. I, I, it, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. As the SEC grows, as the power struggle between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 continues to unfold, as the ACC just kind of sits there, and as the Big Ten continues to ride this out with 14 members right now and getting ready to add USC and UCLA next year, are we going to continue to – I don't even know what the proper term would be, but are we going to continue to merge conferences until we simply have two enormous conferences in college football that – Yeah, it's going to be the AFC versus the NFC eventually. And I think that's where, honestly, it's going. But – there's only a certain amount of schools you can add that will add value, right? The the whole game of this is TV deals, right? That's what this is. That's what the rule changes are about. It's from TV money. That's what conference alignment is about. It's about TV money. That's where they get the money from. That's why they're trying to shrink the game so they can add more ad space and commercials to a finite TV window. That's how this all works. So when you're looking at it like that, outside of, okay, ACC, you got Florida State, Miami, Clemson. And Florida State's uh, a little upset about only getting 7% of the revenue while they make up 15% of the earnings uh, in the TV deal. You've got Washington and Oregon out, out west. You know, you've got Notre Dame still as an impendent. Like, outside of those schools, like, what other school is adding value to the bottom line of a conference? Because if you are adding value at this point, you're just diluting the money that's going out, and not everybody's going to be on board for that. So you might have two kind of like I said, an AFC and NFC, but, I mean, I'm sorry, like, you know, half the Big 12, half the remaining Pac-12, and more than half the ACC, you're you're going to be left behind. Johnny from UConn on the text line asked, I might have missed this explanation, but why wouldn't we play Arkansas instead of Missouri? And there were several listeners that texted about Arkansas being omitted, and from what I understand, and I don't have a whole lot of detail on it, but... From what I understand, behind the scenes, there's been some administrative pushback 
with regard to the potential of a permanent OU Arkansas matchup, which is somewhat surprising to me. But it seems like things have kind of died out on that front. And Florida, of course, as we've been talking about, has emerged as the third likely candidate to be on OU's permanent schedule alongside Missouri and Texas. Yeah, I think I, I guess what what I what it boils down to for me as far as you know having Missouri, Texas, Florida is what what did people expect? Like, what did you realistically expect? And I, I just I don't know. I, I don't feel quite like this can be complained about by anybody because not everything is going to go perfect for every conference or for every. Uh, team and being so far out west we can't really complain about it especially missouri we're able to pretty much draw a line you know going north and south everything west we've got texas ties we've got missouri now that we got florida i think this is best case scenario for oklahoma by the way i don't know how many people have seen the comparison between the sec revenue sharing numbers per school versus literally any other conference in america but Regardless of what the schedule looks like in the sport of football for Oklahoma, they're going to be making a killing in the SEC, as will all of its member institutions. Back to wrap up, Grill Boy and Thune at noon. Coming up next here on the Ref Sports Radio Network, Home of Sooner fans. Wrapping up the 1 o'clock hour here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune alongside Travis Davidson. Keep hitting the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. In just a few minutes at the top of the hour, it'll be time for Locked In with myself and Tyler McComas. I'm talking plenty of OU football recruiting in advance of a big junior day weekend for the Sooners. Uh <laughs> Somebody on the 405 says, got a nice ring to it, Grill Boy and Thune at noon. Seriously, what's Steely's buyout? A cheeseburger meal and Diet Coke, we can make it happen. No, Steely has a much higher buyout than that. And we got to get Steely to retirement age. We're not buying him out anytime soon. Plus, with the obscene number of, at times, obsolete pop culture references that man can make, is there any replacing a sports talk radio legend like Mike Steely? Re- I, region, regional radio star. Regi- I would say re- there is Regional not. radio legend. Uh, elsewhere on the text line as we wrap up here on a Friday, heading towards the weekend. So who are Missouri's three? Somebody wants to know who are Missouri's three permanent matchups in the SEC. It's something we've been talking about all hour. We don't know for sure what the new – SEC schedules are going to be new SEC permanent slates are going to be for each of these teams but Oklahoma's is expected to be Texas Missouri and Florida Missouri's Missouri is. is expected to be Oklahoma Arkansas and Vanderbilt so Vanderbilt ought to be an easy win OU and Arkansas you got a couple of really interesting regional tilts every year for the Tigers yeah and uh, I think everybody was was looking for uh, Vanderbilt somewhere to get that to get that win. So that Missouri Vanderbilt rivalry is sure going to be a saucy one. There's no doubt about it. Uh, did you see uh, Parker? Did you see Nebraska uh, with the uh, big win over number seven Vanderbilt in baseball? In baseball, you say? No, I yeah. did not see that. Which you know can only mean they've got to move the College World Series out of Omaha because. 
the home field advantage that they're getting in this. I mean, imagine Huskers getting to Omaha. It would just, it would be ridiculous. But uh, I do need to shout out my man Todd Morrison. It's his birthday today. Um, Todd of Lexus, uh, as he is on Twitter. Um, he's a loyal KREF Army uh, member. So shout out Todd Morrison. Happy birthday. But yeah, I'll be interested to see if Ross nails these. Because, like I said, it was just a cheers emoji. Hit send on a notes app looking situation, and then boom, he's out for the weekend. On the text line from the 405, I'm sure you've said, but where's Steely? Steely is on spring break this weekend. He's at home streaming on Twitch and eating raspberry zingers, and he's earned it. That man hardly ever takes a vacation I thought, unless he's got a tooth ailment. I thought he was... See, when I thought he was going for spring break, I thought that he was down at, like, you know, the old MTV spring break parties, uh, you know, on the beach. I figured that's what kind of what he was up to. He was in his he was in his swimsuit drinking something with an umbrella in it. Johnny from UConn said Steely's buyout is Lincoln in the ring for a few rounds. I honestly think now Lincoln's about 20 years younger than Steely. I still wonder. To me, that's that probably would go all twelve rounds. That would go the distance. Yeah, Lincoln's been I, on that on that smoked tofu diet, tofu and avocados. Yeah, for the no last joke, year, man. So I don't think he's got a lot of mass built up. No joke. I I don't know if Steely could summon the strength to knock Muleshoe out with one punch, but I think by virtue of the sheer anger that he would bring into the ring, he would definitely leave Muleshoe pretty bloodied by the time the bout wrapped up. Well, and he'd fight dirty. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> he would fight very dirty. Oh, gosh. I don't even want to think about what that would look like. Uh, V-Dog on the text line says, I missed a few minutes. Are the four-team pairings slash regions part of a larger SEC East and West? That is unclear. It kind of feels like we're not going to have divisions in the new SEC, Travis. It feels like college football in its – I mean – entirety is moving away from divisions i mean you're seeing that uh i mean i guess pac 12 was most recently i believe but um you're moving away from regions obviously big 12 hasn't needed divisions because they haven't had the teams to do it but like i said uh, uh, a couple segments ago i do not want divisions i i don't want them i want to be able to play as many schools as possible in the sec travel to as many places i think that it is fair for every single student athlete that is at a university for four years to be able to host and travel to every single school in the SEC. All right, Travis, we got one more question for you before we call it an afternoon here on this Friday. It comes from a listener in the 405 who wants to know, before Trav gets out of there, who's your prediction for the first OU commit of this 2024 class? Oh, man. Oh, man, it's it's either Aaron Flowers or Michael Hawkins Jr. I'm going to go with Michael Hawkins Jr. I think he I think he's seen everything he needs to see. I think he's coming back to Oklahoma for a reason. Um, after just being at TCU, he's seen plenty of Oklahoma. I think he pulls the trigger. There you go. Grill Boy's saying the Sooners got their quarterback on the board to kick off the 2024 class. We'll see. He's on campus tomorrow. Oklahoma's going to have a chance to close the deal. That's it. For Travis Davidson on a Friday. Travis, thanks for jumping in all week, man. It's been a pleasure. Been a blast. We will talk again next Wednesday with Travis Davidson. Coming up next on the other side of the break, Tyler McComas and I get you locked in on all things OU recruiting. Keep it right here on The Ref, 
the home of Sooner fans.